Hello, and welcome back to the future of figure skating. My name is Anna Keller, and I'm so happy to bring you this episode where we go into the world of contemporary figure skating outside of the competitive realm. My guest is Garrett Kling, a professional figure skater, choreographer, yoga instructor, and multimedia artist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. With Kate McSwain, he is the co-executive director of American Ice Theater. In 2017, Garrett received the Groundbreaker Award at the U.S. Open Professional Figure Skating Championships. He has performed and toured around the world and is currently performing with Le Paton Lieb in their production, Murmuration. I really enjoyed this conversation with Garrett, and I hope that you will too. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Anna. I am a big fan of your podcast, so super excited to be here. So I'm super excited to talk to you about American Ice Theater, the work that you've been doing. But first off, tell me a little bit about your origin story in skating. What's your background? Yeah, so I very clearly remember the first time I ever saw skating. Uh, I was seven years old and it was a Scott Hamilton TV special. And it was the one where he was skating upside down in an elevator. I don't know if you ever saw that one. But the second I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I've still, I, I still haven't ever skated, you know, on top of an elevator yet, but still waiting for that to happen. But I was just hooked immediately by the spectacle of, of skating. And I was obsessed. I would tape every skating uh, thing on TV that I could find. And, you know, back in the 90s, skating was on TV all the time. So I would have tapes and tapes and tapes of competitions and shows. And I just studied it. I breathed it. And then I would take my socks in the kitchen floor and try jumps and spins and, you know, trying to teach myself how to do these different maneuvers. And, you know, I didn't have, we didn't have a big kitchen. So I constantly would run into like the washing machine and the oven and the stuff great chaos in my family um so pretty soon my parents were like okay you have to skate and so i, I grew up in a small town in minnesota about four thousand people really really small and you would think there would be rinks everywhere but i actually didn't live near a rink the closest one was 25 miles away so started skating and, you know, fell in love with it. I, I was that kid in like the alpha class who I was like learning crossovers. I was like, I want to try an axle and, you know, try some skill I wasn't qualified for, but yeah, I, I loved it and, and just kept progressing quickly. And, um, my family didn't have tons of resources, so I, I couldn't skate as much as I wanted to. I, I didn't have as many of the, of the resources that I wanted to, but it made every time I was on the ice just like so important and so like monumental. Like I was like, okay, every time I get on the ice, I like have to work so hard. And 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 that passion was like there 100%. And so, yeah, I did singles. I skated through the levels. I moved to Chicago to train more and went to, to college there. And I trained at uh, Twin Rinks, which is where Brady Tunnell used to skate and Danny O'Shea and Jessica Callalang. So a lot of great people there. And my big dream was to, you know, get to nationals and to um, have that moment. And um, I was pretty close a few times. I was the residential alternate. And yeah, I was pretty crushed by that because that was my one goal. My one big reason for being in competitive skating was to have that moment. <laughs> and then I dabbled in ice dance for a little bit. And then the same thing happened where I didn't quite make nationals. And by the time I finished college, I decided to close that chapter of my life in terms of competitive skating. And I think I felt pretty let down by it. Like I didn't achieve what I wanted to. And I felt like a failure that I didn't get to my potential. So after college, I decided to embark in show skating. And I think I really found my stride there. I really love performing and being in front of an audience and having that connection with an audience. And 
I was just a sponge with show skating. I wanted to do as many shows as I could and work with as many choreographers as I could. And yeah, I worked with quite a few companies, um, Holiday on Ice, and I did cruise ships with Willie B Tech. I did hot ice in Blackpool and winter market shows in Wolfsburg, Germany, and and just tried to tap into all the different things I could. And yeah, really developed my art form and inspired by so many amazing people in the sport, the sport and the art of it. Yeah, that brings me to today. Now you're a co-executive director for American Ice Theater. Tell me a little bit about how AIT got going, what you do with it. So American Ice Theater started in 2003, and the founder is Jody Porter. Jody's mission with American Ice Theater was to meld the worlds of dance and skating together. So she had performance companies in uh, the Bay Area where she was located and really had that passion to connect those worlds. And I met Jody in 2011. And she had just moved to Chicago when I was based there. And I had known about AIT and instantly wanted to connect (laughs) and loved what she was doing. She just took me under her wing and mentored me. And I had always had this passion for choreography and being a choreographer. She really gave me the tools to make that a career and taught me how to combine dance movement vocabulary to the ice. And so I worked with her quite extensively while she was based in Chicago before I started my show skating career. And she also mentored Kate McSwain, who is now my co-executive director uh, with American Ice Theater. Both of us were her little uh, guinea pigs who loved to (laughs) just learn from her and do whatever. She gave us lots of wonderful opportunities. And so in 2019, Jody phased herself outside of skating. And so she gave the company to Kate and myself. And since we've taken over AIT, we have grown the company to seven satellites across the country. And so each satellite location has a performance company where they do local shows um, and also education. And so One of um, the main things each satellite does is seasonal seminars for the community, teaching the concepts of dance movement to the ice and contemporary skating. We uh, put on multiple events as well. We have uh, three big events, American Contemporary Skating Festival in June in Boston, Core Camp in July, and the Adult Weekend Skateaway in September. These different events have kind of different niches with ages and the vibe and uh, what we offer, but each of them connect to our version of contemporary skating. Yeah, that's great. I mean, to have that basis in so many different parts of the country definitely exposes more people. I think a lot of people, especially maybe who aren't skaters and who just watch the competitive side of skating, don't necessarily have a concept of what artistic skating, contemporary skating, ice theater. And I, I'm not sure, you know, always which term to apply to, to what, but this sort of expanded world of figure skating, how do you think about that? How do you use those different terms and define it? Totally. It is confusing. <laughs> so I'm really glad you asked the question. I like to think of it as the greater umbrella is artistic skating. And so within that umbrella, there are different branches. Ice theater is, is one of the branches. And then with that, there are also kind of branches within it because there is the competitive discipline, theater on ice in the U.S., which is ensemble skating. But it's interesting because in other countries, they call it different things. In France, they call it ballet sur glace, so dance on ice. The language we use around this form of um, competitive ensemble skating does get confusing. Looking at the greater umbrella of artistic skating, we have, yes, competitive ice theaters, but then also professional companies that could be labeled as ice theater. So there are companies such as Ice Theater of New York and Ice Dance International, The Next Ice Age, American Ice Theater, Ice on Lay. These companies have professional ensembles that are not competitive. Looking at contemporary skating, that is another branch off of artistic skating. And within contemporary skating, there are also many different methods and approaches. With American Ice Theater, 
our approach to contemporary skating really works with the mind-body connection. And so coming to the ice and having the space to explore and to find freedom in movement, to ask the question of how can I explore new methods in my own body? How can I explore new ways of moving in my own body? How can this medium of our blades and the ice be expressed in new ways? You know, the word contemporary means now, it's happening now. And so oftentimes contemporary skating can also relate to cultural and social issues of our time, environmental issues of our time, and using our medium on the ice or even off the ice to explore that. Contemporary skating also breaks down barriers of what traditional skating looks like and aims to create a more inclusive environment where all types of people and abilities and ages and levels can come to the ice and know that they are welcome here. Yeah, one of our mantras is everyone has something to share, everyone has something to learn. And so in that regard, when we do seminars and we share that mantra, it means that, yeah, it doesn't matter how long you've been skating. It doesn't matter if you went to the Olympics. It doesn't matter if you can barely do a wall jump, like your innate being is a creative being and you have access to creativity. And our whole mission is to uncover that in a skater and to allow them one, the um, freedom to explore and um, the tools to be able to find that within themselves. Yeah, that's so interesting, especially given that there's often a hierarchy of you move through these levels, even like leaving out the jumps and spins of it all. There's a certain idea that in order to be able to express yourself, you have to have mastered the rocker and the counter and that like all of these things, which on one hand, that makes sense because that's all vocabulary that's helping you express yourself, but it also can be limiting if those are the only motions that are recognized as the correct motions on, on the ice. So there's sort of that tension of like, how much technical skill do you need to have in order to participate in the artistic side of it too? Totally, totally. And one of the big things we teach to skaters is improv movement, improvisation. And through improvisation, we always structure it. Um, So we're not like, just move, because oftentimes that's very intimidating, right? If you haven't had that practice before. And so through the structure of improv, we stress to the skaters that have all these different toolboxes. So one toolbox is your skating vocabulary, and some might have a more full toolbox than others, and that's okay. But within the skating vocabulary, toolbox. There's also another toolbox in terms of tempo. We can move our bodies in different tempos. We can use different energy qualities. We can explore movement through our emotions, through how we're feeling, through somatically understanding our body, uh, our breath. And so there's all these different modes that we can enter in. And so pretty quickly you realize you don't need to be, you know, a senior level skater to create, to move on the ice, you have lots of different skill sets that are within your own body to explore. There's so much that can get drawn from the dance world onto the ice and learning different forms of movement. Is that a one-way thing? Do you think that there's things that dancers can learn from skating and from that those forms of movement that are, you know, unique to what we can do on the ice? Totally, totally. I actually did a collaboration with a modern dancer back in 2017, Marciano Silvas dos Santos, who is a Brazilian choreographer based in the Twin Cities. And he has a company called Contempo Physical Dance. And I saw one of his shows and was just enthralled with the movement of these dancers. And so I contacted him and I said, hey, would you create a piece for me? And we did this exchange where we met in the studio and he gave me movement prompts and phrases. And I then put them to the ice. 
and saw the translation of it and saw, you know, what worked, what didn't. And dancers move their bodies in such a way that I crave to, right? Like I look at dancers and I'm like, oh, I want to move that way. But it's funny how dancers often look at skaters and are craving the ability that we have as skaters to be still, but still move through space, have that kind of magical power, if you will. It was this real wonderful back and forth where I would try something on the ice, come back to the studio, let him know what worked and what didn't. And then this back and forth just kept happening until we put together a piece and I uh, performed it at the U.S. Open, the Professional Skaters Association competition that they would put on. And it was a real magical collaborative process where we really learned together, like how this movement would translate to the ice. And so, yeah, I definitely think there are endless ways for dancers and skaters to collaborate and certainly something that contemporary skating offers yeah, that's really great. I've, I've been seeing, you know, in little bits and pieces, more single skaters doing, I think the ice dance world has always had a little bit more of that back and forth with the ballroom forms and everything, but seeing more single skaters working with contemporary dancers and looking for other forms of choreography. I remember talking to Satoko Miyahara about her collaboration with the Japanese choreographer Kenda Kojiri and how they worked together and did a lot of work off the ice. But then she discovered that they had made all of these wonderful intricate movements, but that it was in such a small space that then how to like expand to take up a whole rink with it was a real challenge. And they then had to go back and adjust and figure out which things worked and which things didn't. And like what the, yeah, like you're saying, like the limitations of what you can do without the glide and the speed that you get from skating. Yeah, it's it's a dynamic duo when you have both, right? Both a skater and dancer working together. I, I would love to see more of that. And so in some ways, the professional skating world and contemporary skating, it's a whole wide alternative world to the competitive figure skating world. How do you see the interrelation of those things? You talked about your own experience wanting to get that kind of competitive success. Do you see skaters kind of dipping in and out of both spaces? Right. Well, I think there is more of an awareness to contemporary movement that is being seen in competitive spaces. Like you said, Ice Dance, I think, is really the forefront of that, where we see lots of creative, three-dimensional movements happening and also collaborations between, uh, you know, choreographers on the floor, bringing them to the ice. And so I think that is happening in, in many ways and has been happening. I mean, we think back to the era of John Curry and Tyler Cranston, and they were really defying uh, traditional norms in their own movement and the way they skated. And of course, once they finished competing, they had more freedom to explore that. But pushing that envelope while they were competing, you know, Torval and Dean, the Duchesnais, like these really revolutionary creators of their time did have competitive spaces to do that. And so I think it is certainly possible to bring that to today. I, I would say Jason Brown, Kevin Amos, those in particular do show such a range of, of movement vocabulary that you could say they look like a dancer on the ice, right? I think that the more we see that happening, the more it opens up the possibility and the awareness of it. And we also see that in terms of more disciplines opening up, like the solo dance track is really becoming more popular in, in the United States. And as a choreographer, I find that to be one of the most engaging spaces to choreograph for because there is so much opportunity for creativity and having those choreographic elements where you can really do whatever you want within the rules and there are many but <laughs> that's part of the creativity you know figuring out how to be creative within the rules is its own challenge and I find that in theater on ice as well, that has much opportunity for contemporary movement 
they just had Nations Cup, which is the world theater nice competition a few weeks ago in Boston. And I attended and just seeing so many amazing teams explore that creative movement, that three-dimensional movement was really fun to see. So I do have lots of hope and promise for the future that that will continue. It's interesting thinking about where there are the spaces to push and how whether that gets rewarded. I've been a big fan of the idea that there should be, you know, could be more types of choreographic elements in pairs, for example, or like ways to have things that aren't so dependent on the levels. Like there's that push and pull of how this is reflected under the restrictions of the IJS and whether creativity gets rewarded. And I think a lot of people push for creativity, whether it's getting rewarded or not, because that's what motivates them as artists and athletes too. But it's, there's always that like tension within the judged elements of the sport. Yeah. I feel that tension all the time being a choreographer and braving spaces to push the envelope and then sometimes deciding it's not worth it or being afraid because you know you would hate for an invalid element to be called or it could blow up in your face right so there is that constant sort of tension and you know the the rule book is this living document that changes all the time and i think the more we push that envelope as choreographers, as skaters, as people who want to explore and try new things. That's what pushes forward then the rules and the officials to to notice. And so I encourage us all to be brave in that way and to uh, <laughs> try those new things. It's funny because there were so many people laughing about the overuse of cartwheels this season which has maybe been coming for a couple of years but we watched people like yeah. Kevin Amos do these movements that were breaking outside of the the boundaries and I think a lot of people looked at that and they were like that's so cool and craving that that you know it it maybe partly it's coming from the like difficult exit you know in the levels but a lot of it I think also comes from that oh we could do that okay, I'll try doing that and coming from, a, I think, a place of wanting to be creative too. So whenever people were like saying, oh, we should ban the cartwheels, the cartwheels are terrible. I was thinking like, okay, maybe they're being overused right now. It's a trend, but I think it's coming from a, a good place of wanting to try new forms of movement. Exactly. And then the next year, they'll just make them invalid anyway. So, you know, it'll always keep changing. We'll always find our next hot thing. Exactly. You mentioned already a little bit about some of the different ways that formats of artistic skating and contemporary skating are international. There is the relatively new Contemporary Skating Alliance. Seems like a really interesting project of trying to do more um, international collaboration. And I was curious about that. Yeah. So the Contemporary Skating Alliance formed in 2020 and it was under the realization that there were so many different contemporary skating companies around the world that were propping up and some that have you know been in place for a while as well and so we decided to join forces and have an organization where we could support one another and and show people that they could also do this thing and have this option to create their own company wherever they may be or to join a company. And so we had our first big international event this past November called the Performing Arts Project, where we had many different companies come and present their philosophy. And like I mentioned earlier, contemporary skating has many different approaches to it. For instance, we have the Ice Lab Leipzig in Germany that explores a lot of the environmental issues of our time and uses our ice and skates and blades to explore those questions. There is Maya Luther Studio, who is based in um, Switzerland, and she is a somatic practitioner and so really connects into the body and how that can be explored through movement. There are companies in Berlin, Ice Dance Theater Fusion, 
and freeze different companies that continually explore dance movement and the connection with theater uh, our hosts at the event um the performing arts project was monsank is the name of their company um and they explore a lot of um theater and how theater can be infused into skating and so it is just really exciting to see all these different approaches. And I also perform with a company named La Patanlib, and they are a contemporary-based company in Montreal, and I'm part of their most recent production. And they have their own movement vocabulary and play a lot with the glide and different ways we can move together as a group and um, this particular Production has 15 skaters and it's called Murmuration. And the whole theme of the show is how birds flock and move together and the different patterns they create and the different algorithms that are created as they move through space. And so this particular show has another approach to contemporary skating that just expands our notions of what skating can be and who skating can be for. And so I am excited to see it grow and to see how this movement can expand to other parts of the world as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I love that way of exchanging that not everybody has to be following, you know, exactly the same philosophy or doing exactly the same art form to find ways like commonalities and ways to be learning from each other. With the growth of so many different forms of contemporary skating and you know you've also been part of some of the more established like professional shows in different formats how do you see the audience for the work that you're doing and how can we grow the audience and awareness and interest in all of these forms of skating yeah I mean I look back to how skating was so big in the 90s and realizing how much of a different world we were in back then and how there was the Stars on Ice, Champions on Ice, and people watch skating on their TVs on a Saturday afternoon. Like, that just isn't the way we live anymore. <laughs> and so it is, on one regard, exciting to realize how social media, how the new landscape of media and culture can create more opportunities for skating. It provides more access to show different types of skating. When we are filming for TikTok or Instagram or whatever, like our way of choreographing changes completely because we are looking at, you know, the audience as the camera, right? And so as a choreographer, like the number one rule is know your audience, right? So know who you're performing to. And with that, I think it's great that there are all these possibilities with the new landscape of social media and the opportunity to explore different art forms. And I think that is one of the big ways skating can stay relevant. Um, you know, we're seeing like Cirque du Soleil have a nice show and, and combining the circus world and, and skating. And that, I think, is exactly what skating needs to continually keep it relevant to today. And so, yeah, combining it with art forms, with dance, with circus, with other sports, you know, like seeing the ways in which there can be that collaboration. And again, I think that's where contemporary skating really can open up this realm of what skating can be. And that is very exciting because traditional skating in those spaces, I think oftentimes we're very behind the times. <laughs> and um, we are not looking forward to how skating can stay relevant to today. And so, you know, so much of the ways skating is judged or the rules in place and the gender norms and the traditional ways that we are expected to skate just do not fit necessarily in how the world is moving. And so I think those are really important questions that need to be asked and explored. And I think that is happening more and more. Yeah. The idea that, you know, this lost world of the 90s where you could, if you were one of the lucky few to be on a, a touring with Stars on Ice, then you 
were making a lot of money, but that that was so dependent on coming up through the competitive ranks to be able to achieve that. It's been really interesting, I think, to see that some of the skaters who have done the best, you know, or have gotten the most views or whatever, you know, out of social media haven't necessarily been the skaters who are also winning the medals in the competitive space and the people who the audience want to see are the the national champion maybe yes but also it's much broader than that and Elijah Balde you know being on the Canadian Stars on Ice and that kind of thing and I hope we see you know a little bit more of breaking out of such a narrow mold of who gets those professional opportunities what people see most often still is that competitive track. You know, that is the thing that is most forefront in representation of skating at large. And so when we only see that one way, like for me watching it on TV, I only saw, yeah, Olympic champions. And so of course I want to be an Olympic champion one day. But yeah, seeing today, like the wide range of expression and possibilities, you know, and it's so cool that someone can just be on their phone and be like, oh, I see that skater and I want to be like them. Like, I want to move like that or I want to skate like that. That possibility is super exciting. Yeah. And you mentioned how it changes the way that you choreograph. So do you develop a program differently if you feel like it's going to be something that you're doing to share on social media versus to share to a live audience? Do you actually adjust your choreography or how do you, yeah, how do you think about those different formats? Yeah. As a choreographer, you really have to be very specific about who is going to intake whatever you are creating, right? So you're constantly in the space of asking yourself, how is the viewer going to see this? Or what are they going to think? Or what are they going to feel? Or how do I want them to feel, (laughs) right? You can't always have a magic wand and know that for real, but of course, asking the question is important. So yeah, you know, when I'm choreographing in competitive spaces, it's all about the judges, right? All about where they are, how am I, how the movement reads from usually up high, far away, what is clear. But yeah, if I'm choreographing for video or, you know, what's so great about like Onyx Perspectives and Jordan and, and how he follows you around, there is this real connection that we have as a viewer to the performance because we feel as though we are skating with the skater and we feel like we're part of that performance and so it completely changes the way to choreograph because you know thinking about how the facing is in the camera or where you're looking or thinking about gesture like small gestures are much more readable on a camera than far away And so continually having that hat on of, okay, what is going to be seen? What's going to be visible is super important and something I'm constantly, whenever I'm creating. Right. We see a competitive program and you go see it live. Often you get like, oh, right. That's how this was meant to be seen. And you have a different experience of it. But I think it's also really interesting to think like, well, this is the difference between film versus theater, that there are forms of acting and forms of movement or gesture, ways of telling a story that you can add nuance if you get to be up close. It's not that one's better than the other, but that really does open up a different framework. Also, this will date when we're talking here, but they just announced the new rules for ice dance technical rules today. And I noticed that one of the things was that the choreographic step sequence doesn't have to only be across the short side. And that's one of the things that I noticed so much going to competitions was that if you're not sitting on the judges side, you really miss that, like the impact of it that you can see sometimes from watching on TV, the audience isn't getting, the skaters are like moving away from you, back away from you, moving to the judges. Okay, I think this is probably a good thing that there's the ability to think in more, in more three-dimensional ways about what is often the high point of a rhythm dance. Yeah, right. The hot spot when you're at a competition is to sit right behind the judges. <laughs> you're going to get the best view of, of everything. Oh man, at the Grand Prix in Sheffield, we were very lucky they put the media seating right behind the tech panel. So not only could you get the best view of the skating, it actually was very distracting because you could also watch what the tech oh, yeah. panel was putting on their screens, which was fascinating, but um, distracting. Right. Maybe <laughs> what you want to see that after the performance, not during. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. 
so thinking about sort of your body as the tool that you have to be telling your story, one of the things I've talked to people a lot about is issues around body image and weight and skating and the way that we have this sort of aesthetic of a certain type of body and a certain type of thinness that's desirable. I'm just kind of curious how you think about that for yourself as a teacher, as somebody who's, you know, working with different athletes, like to awareness of your body and how you're perceived. Growing up, I felt very disconnected to my body. I was taught specific techniques and you know, as a skater, of course, you're you're taught very particular movements of where your body needs to be and how muscles need to be strong in certain ways. And, you know, the mechanics of my body and the ways it relates to skating, of course, I worked most of my life for, but there was a complete disconnection with my mind, body, and spirit. And I mean, largely, a big segment of that is having to do with being you know, a young queer kid in the closet and and not feeling comfortable just being myself in the world. But that relates to how I was on the ice because when I have to do these very, very highly specific and skilled movements, how can I do them to my full potential when there are parts of my body that are locked or there are ways in which I don't feel like I can fully be in a space, right? And I felt that where there were parts of me that felt inaccessible. And so I really had to go on this whole journey of deconstructing, of learning how to connect my mind and body and spirit together. And it the first teacher that really opened my eyes to this was Eve Shalom, who is a nice dance teacher in uh, Chicago area. And um, she was the first one who taught me about breath. And, you know, you'd think that's like a simple thing and like, oh, of course, breathing. But it's crazy how much we don't breathe on the ice and how much we don't connect our breath to our movements. And so just having that awareness was huge. And, and her whole somatic approach to skating and stroking and movement started to open my eyes. And I would say a large part of that journey for myself was yoga as well, and learning how to connect to my body in a way that felt scary <laughs> um, for so long because I often viewed my body as wrong or awful or sinful, whatever words you want to put to that. Yeah, I had to do a lot of a, a lot of healing in that way. And I felt that the way to do that healing was first entering the body and healing from parts of my body that were so locked. And so through that entryway, I was able to connect more deeply with my mind, find the ways in which my body and mind, spirit all work together. And so I am really passionate as a teacher to give my skaters those tools because I didn't have that growing up. And I really find that if I did, it would have transformed the way I moved. And now I feel that way. Now I feel like I can be authentically me and and be that example to others, which is lovely. And so I'm I'm super yeah passionate about sharing that to others. And for instance, with our AIT seminars, we often come in a space and you know you can feel the tension. You can feel the skaters just like I'm gonna move my body. Like I don't know if I'm ready for this. But we set the ground rules right away of this is a place of non-judgment and this is a place where we're going to come together and explore. One of our mantras is everything you do is right. Anything you try in your body, any type of movement that comes to you is right. And your body wants to do it. So do it. Go for it. We tap into that observing self where, yeah, there is non-judgment. There is curiosity. There is exploration, compassion. And when we tap into that observing self, yeah, we withdraw that judgment. We withdraw the reaction of how we feel because oftentimes it is uncomfortable and we accept it. And that is another big thing that we teach through AIT. And so it's really beautiful to see, you know, those walls break down, even if just a little bit, because 
through skating, you know, we have this amazing, beautiful superpower to express, to explore, to be whoever we want to be. And so often in skating spaces, that's squashed or that's not allowed, or you might be told from someone that you don't look a certain way or can't act a certain way, or the way you present is not allowed. And, you know, in these spaces, we're not allowed to be who we are. And so I'm passionate about, in little ways, teaching methods to give them those tools of empowerment, of connecting with their bodies, to be okay with exploring, to express all those things can create healing and can create important tools to bring to your life, whether it be with skating or not. I'm thinking about the way that you were talking about being a little kid and wanting to do the motions in your socks. And like, that's something that I resonated with, you know, so much that I think getting back to skating as an adult, I started to find myself like, again, starting to spin around my kitchen in my socks. And it was like, oh, right, that that was the craving of movement that within skating and without was sort of pushed out of me at some point as I was feeling like I needed to fit into certain models to then reconnect with that something that is very connected, like not even to to the thinking brain, but to something that's more grounded to impulses or something. Yeah, I mean, I love working with young kids who are six, seven, eight, because that age, the walls aren't up as much, right? And, you know, thinking back to when I was that age, you know, yeah, skating in my kitchen on with my socks on, living my best life. We could call that contemporary skating, right? Like, <laughs> we, were, we both were contemporary skating back then. It's so beautiful to see them express themselves at that age. And oftentimes, it's coming back to that as adults, right? Like unpeeling those layers, deconstructing, finding that inner child that has that capacity for creativity and and movement. I find that myself connecting to that part of me makes me the most creative. Yeah, that is really wonderful. And it reminds me of something that my mother who teaches painting and drawing and works with people of all ages is often trying to get her adult students to reconnect with the genuine, I have put these marks on the paper and I'm really excited about them. And it was great feeling that they had as small children and that had taken away from them through the sense of it needs to look like this. And Am I good at it? Am I not good at it? Like all of those things. And it's really hard for people often to get back to that feeling of excitement in the basic act of other, you know, in the case of like putting a mark on paper, but, you know, moving your body in a certain way has a a similar, we have these desires to do these things. I think a lot of people have it and don't feel like they're allowed to express it. Right, right. And that makes me sad. (laughs) It really, um, Makes me sad that in a lot of skating spaces, that's not allowed or that it's out of the norm. And I'm all for being exactly who you want to be on that ice rink. Like, let's see it. Bring it on. I want to I want to be in those spaces. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those paradoxes, I think, of skating is that it's somebody recently said, like, how is this sport both so gay and so homophobic at the same time? And that like stuck in my mind because a, there are so many queer people in this sport and there have been for the whole history of the sport. And also there's been, there's so many rules and so much repression around that. And I think I'm still trying to like process and figure out all of the contradictions that are built into that. I guess that's not really a, a question as much as a set of thoughts, but I'm curious how you think about all of those contradictory pieces of skating. Yeah, I think anytime... There's an activity like figure skating where you are hyper-focused on appearance and acting a certain way in a space and you're judged a very particular way. It just reinforces those traditional norms, the gender norms, the you know ways that we're expected to be. And I think there has been a lot of change in that regard that 
has been happening in skating and continues to happen. There was this really fascinating podcast called Blind Landing. They did a season on skating and particularly queer people in skating and that that paradox, exactly as you were saying, like how can there be so many queer people in this sport and yet it has many homophobic tendencies. And so one, I recommend that podcast, but also I could imagine a world where we open up the rules and the rigidity of gender norms. And, you know, Skate Canada is really leading that front in that way in their trans inclusion policies and they're opening up the opportunity for same-sex couples to compete. Like, that is super exciting. And I could also imagine a world in which maybe single skating one day didn't have to deal with the gender binary. And, you know, I think that would completely change the way we judge it, right? Because right now, the way we judge it is very much based on how a male and a female are, right? <laughs> and that's the nature of the rules and how they were put in place. What if we imagined a new way? And it's, I, I don't think that crazy because in a lot of disciplines, we already see gender neutral disciplines in synchronized skating and theater on ice and solo dance. All gender expressions can be accepted there. And as we move forward, the only way to move forward if we want to keep skating in those competitive spaces inclusive, and I know there's been pushback and I know other countries would have freak out and 64 countries in the world still outlaw homosexuality. So the world at large still has a lot of work to do. And so, you know, in our little tiny skating world, we can do our part and try to make a change. But it's when we put those expectations on the ways in which we are supposed to be. And, you know, as we can see you know, with Adam Rapon being the first gay Winter Olympian, I think, first out gay Winter Olympian in 2018. You know, that was, it was only five years ago, which, you know, tells us that there wasn't safety in the, in the sport of figure skating at large for people to be open about who they were. That needs to change and, you know, in, in ways it is changing. And I think the more we have representation, it is making a difference and more and more people speaking out. I think helps a lot. I have hope for the future in terms of skating, all of skating, you know, in contemporary spaces. That is not even something that has a barrier in terms of gender expression, but, um, you know, in traditional competitive spaces, I have hope that that can change and that, you know, will be something in the next 10, 20 years that I hope will see big development. Yeah. I am both hopeful and then sometimes frustrated with the, you know, the persistence of certain tropes and stereotypes and all of this. And it's funny, I was just thinking yesterday that for me, I kind of fell into this backwards. I started thinking about gender inclusion and what it does it look like to have skating be more accepting, almost from a more political perspective and thinking about how it impacted other people only more recently have I actually started to think about what do I actually want to be doing with my own skating, not just by the fact of showing up as a non-binary person or in a gender non-conforming pair, but with my actual skating itself. Like I get to make choices about how I am presenting myself and what kinds of movement I want. And not because I am making some kind of a statement in a outward facing way, but trying to actually look at it from a more inward, there aren't a huge number of models what does it look like to be someone who is assigned female at birth, but is on the more masculine side of gender presentation? But what does it mean to be telling different stories of masculinity or femininity with my skating? Or is that even like what I want to be doing? But can you escape it if that's not like so many of the stories about movement and what kinds of things you can do on the ice are tied up with ideas of gender presentation that like, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of that when it comes to thinking about my own skating. And it's been kind of fun and also scary to, to start to try to unpack that. And it's just making me laugh because I think I've done 15 episodes now where like every episode of the podcast has talked about these issues in some way. But it's taken me a lot of that macro level talking about it to even start to 
really come to thinking about it in my own skating. Oh, that's beautiful. And first of all, thank you for being a role model in that way, because the more you show that authentic side of you on the ice, you will be a role model for others. And that is so beautiful. And that's how it starts, right? How we create that change. And secondly, I want to skate with you because I want to explore all the things you're exploring and we totally have to, (laughs) we have to find that space to uh, explore together. So let's make that happen. (laughs) That would be great. That is very lovely to hear. Speaking of people who aren't seen on the ice, one of the things that I've also been thinking a lot about is what are some of the different like cultural origins of the forms of movement that we have in skating and like how much of this comes from a sort of a ballet vocabulary and what other forms of dance and movement um, can we bring to the ice but then also what does it mean that skating is such a a white sport and if it is like what does it mean for like a for white skaters to be bringing forms of movement that come and dance that come from other cultures. I mean, you know, how do we expand who's on the ice as well as like what different forms of dance we're bringing to the ice? And there's a lot of different complexities to that. Again, I'm really interested in how you think about both accessibility for skaters of color, but also these conversations around ethical choreography and cultural appropriation. All really important, amazing questions and yeah, certainly needy and (laughs) Yeah, I mean, first talking about accessibility, I I mean, 100% agree that, you know, predominantly skating is very much elitist. <laughs> there are so many barriers to skating that so many people have. And I will say, you know, there's a lot of wonderful organizations that have recently come the Figure Skating Diversity and Inclusion Alliance, the Diversify Ice, um, you know, bringing Black and Brown skaters to the forefront and and creating more accessibility. Figure Skating in Harlem. There's a company called Brown Body based here in the Twin Cities that puts on performances and does outreach for Black skaters and. It is wonderful to see that there are there is more representation happening. And through AIT, we we strive to make skating accessible as well as you know being affordable with our seminars, having scholarships. Um, it's important for us that we have a diverse pool of those in leadership and um, directors, and we see, the importance of representation in that way and brave to make skating available to anyone who wants to. And I I know there's a lot of work to still be done and so many voices that need to be heard. And I'm still learning a lot and to learn and want to amplify our BIPOC community in, in whatever ways I can. And so, yeah, AIT is also big on collaboration. And so we've collaborated with Figure Skating Diversity and Inclusion Alliance and put on events together with them and are are passionate about creating those spaces as well. In terms of the ethics question and choreography and cultural appropriation, I definitely find that to be an issue a lot in the types of music that are presented to me or the ways um, that some skaters want to portray a different type of dance style that I'm not qualified for. (laughs) So it definitely creates a conversation. And, you know, one particular instance is that I have choreographer a skater who is creating a free dance that is a traditional Indian folk dance. And I do not know anything about that art form. I I've seen it and I love it, but I don't know how to do it or teach it. So <laughs> what we've done is brought in there, um, instruct to create the gestures and create the a lot of the movement. And I, you know, set a lot of the elements and just the flow and the way the program was laid out and, you know, figuring out the skating vocabulary of the program, right? And the elements. And so that was a really great collaboration in that regard too because it kept 
the integrity of, of the art form by a choreographer who was trained and skilled in that. And so I think that's an important thing to do if a skater wants to branch out, if, you know, as a choreographer, if you are not skilled in that particular um, art form or way of dance or culture, then maybe you shouldn't choreograph it or find someone who is an expert and, and create that collaboration. And so I think that's really important. You know, I find that in music choices too, sometimes whether it be the lyrics or the music choices, again, relating to, you know, if it's if it's not represented in a way that is true to the culture, then you shouldn't do it. So I, I don't think there's a ton of education in that area. And I think it's important for us as a skating community to be more conscious of that and to be more aware of those um, areas where cultural appropriation can easily happen. I think we all want to see lots more forms, different forms of dance and different cultural traditions, like intersecting with skating. So it's not a question of, you know, that shouldn't be done, but like, how do we do it in a way that is respectful and authentic? I just had one last plan question for you that I realized that we didn't talk about the Young Choreographers Showcase in the recent competition, um, which is such a project. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and kind of what you've been excited to see come out of it? Yeah, so the Young Artist Showcase started in 2010, and it was created by Audrey Wiziger, Sheila Thielen, and Doug Mattis. And it is a competition that is for skating choreographers. And in 2010, when it started, it brought together this community of skating choreographers who wouldn't have otherwise connected. For instance, it's where I met Kate McSwain, who is now, you know, <laughs> work very closely with and a dear friend. And so it also brought about Adam Blake, who I think won that first season. So it, there's just been a long lineage of current skating choreographers that got their start through this competition. And so the Young Honor Showcase was, it ran from like 2010 till 2015, I think, had quite a few seasons. Um, I also competed in a couple of the seasons and yeah, just, just was so grateful for the opportunity to like have this way to choreograph and have it brought out to the world, you know, it was kind of early YouTube back in the day. And so anyway, it, it hadn't been continued in 2020 when Kate and I approached Audrey and said, Hey, you know, we're running American Ice Theater now, and we'd love to revitalize the competition and this thing you created. So she yeah, was on board and she's still involved. She's a um, judge and on the selection committee. And, and so yeah, since 2020, we've um, had a few seasons of this competition, and there are six finalists, and for five weeks, they create pieces of choreography based on different um, prompts or challenges. And so, for instance, the first challenge was called a star challenge, and they each had an Olympian they choreographed for, and so they collaborated virtually, and so... They um, created a piece for those Olympians. Um, we had different challenges like uh, poetry in motion, where you had to create a piece based on a poem. Uh, we had a thing called the vision swap, where two finalists collaborated together to um, create a theme for each other. And so they had to carry out each other's theme. So anyway, we have a lot of fun creating the challenges. Audrey creates a lot of them and we um Kate and I run the competition and it is so amazing seeing the work that is put out so much creativity this year was was truly incredible so I encourage all of you to watch it's on YouTube um all the five weeks and we're really happy to keep this alive and we are so grateful to have so many offering their time to be judges. We had Sarah Karahara, David Wilson, Sandra Bezik, Adam Rapon, just so many wonderful names in skating be judges this season um, and in seasons past. So we will continue the competition, hopefully for many years. Anyone listening, we have a competition running April every year and 
audition video that you send in will be due um, always at the end of January. So again, our website tells you all that information. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching them. And I think it's such a fantastic little snapshot as a way to see six really interesting short pieces like back to back like that. Each of the weeks of the competition is itself such a great introduction to what different kinds of choreography can look like. And yeah, I really enjoyed following it. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything that you've been sharing. And before we close, if there's anything that you would want to share that we haven't talked about around where you'd like to see figure skating going in the future. You know, I think skating, I think of skating as home. And I think of skating as the place I feel most free and the place I can be authentically me and passionate about offering that space for others. And I know Kate and myself through AIT, you know, we're we're making that dream reality where we are creating this this space for for people to come and I am I'm grateful to be able to do this as an art form, as a job, as something I'm passionate about. And I thank you for this opportunity to talk about it. I think what you're doing too is just so, so needed and so important to um, create these spaces for skaters to tell their stories and again, to be role models and representatives of what skating can be like in the future, because all your guests on your podcast so far have amazing dreams and hopes and ways that skating can be and could be and hopefully are happening as we speak. And the more we hear about it, have that exposure and and collaborate together, you know, I think that's something that isn't always easy for those of us in skating to realize we all have something to offer here on the table. And the more we can collaborate and the more we can work together, you know, that only helps the greater good. So yeah, let's, let's do more of that. I think that would be nice. Uh, Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening. Well, keep it up. Keep going. I'll keep listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Garrett Kling. You can look at the show notes for links to a transcript and to many of the things that we discussed. You can follow Garrett on Instagram at Garrett Kling and American Ice Theater at American Ice Theater. You can reach me with comments or suggestions for topics and people I should talk to by email at fsfuturepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter at futurefspodcast. Remember to subscribe to the Future of Figure Skating on whatever platform you use, leave a review, and share it with your friends.